This is episode number 182, Destigmatizing Mental Health with Karen Sullins. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lokid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming call called Courageous Conversations. This is something that we started a few months ago with the intention of bringing our community even closer, as well as creating a space for each and every single one of us to be able to not only better understand ourselves, but also those that are walking next to us. If you would like to know more details about any of these upcoming calls, please leave us a message through our website at overcomingodds.today. The second announcement that I'd like to make is in regard to our upcoming event called Survive to Thrive, A Parent's Journey. This is an experience that we've been wanting to put together for a few months by now with the intention of creating a space for other parents to be able to come together and relate as well as understand each and every single one of the journeys that they've been on as well as the lessons and the takeaways that they've learned through the hardship including COVID-19, as well as some of the other circumstances. If you'd like to know more details about this upcoming experience, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today forward slash events. The last thing that I would like to mention is if you have liked any of the previous episodes and continue to enjoy the content that we put out there, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google, so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Karen, welcome to the show. Hi, welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for connecting. Thank you for responding to my initial email. And um, (laughs) it's, it's just, it's funny how the two worlds can align when I think you put yourself out there. And you never know what you're going to receive besides maybe a similar um, tone of energy and frequency. And I think that's kind of the beauty of just maybe life in general is that there's so many different variations and possibilities of the type of people that you can come across in life. Right. It's pretty, pretty amazing. And, and the reason why I wanted to have you on the show are a couple of reasons. First was I remember when you and I had a conversation, we spoke about this concept of mental health. And we had a pretty lengthy conversation as well. And I wanted to kind of uh, recreate that space and uh, talk about the different stigma when it comes to mental health, self-care, personal development, um, developing of your mindset. And maybe the best way that we can start off this particular conversation is, were there moments in your life where you felt that you were dealing with certain aspects of your own mental health and you felt that it was very difficult to do so because there was stigma against X, Y, and Z that you might've been facing. 
Oh, sure. Gosh, I, I think most of the time when I'm talking with people, um, I use myself as, a, as an example a lot. Um, especially where it's applicable. Um, and, and to answer that question, I would say during the past calendar year, especially, um, mm -hmm. it's been extremely difficult being a mental health practitioner and having, you know, a full load um, private practice counseling agency and managing a nonprofit as well, trying to help people because there are so many people in need. Um, I had a couple of, of trials my own self and um, it really kind of took me back. Um, you know, I don't think any of us really expect tragedy to hit. Mm -hmm. um, so, so when it does there, there's an element of trauma that goes along with that. I don't care who you are. Mm -hmm. um, you can be a, a psychiatrist at the, you know, national level, you know, world re re renowned researcher and still feel the brunt of human tragedy, especially when it's personal. Mm -hmm. So um, my tour of mental health crisis began in um, August of last year. Um, my beautiful daughter had graduated from high school six months early and decided to go live with her dad because we live in a very rural area. Um, so the options and the opportunities were better somewhere else. Um, so she went and did that. And being um, the helicopter mom that I was most of, of her life, um, <laughs> I tried to talk to you know my children and, and prepare them for what was out in the world. But um, I, I feel like maybe I, I should have done more talking um, because she was befriended by some people with not very good intentions. And long story short, um, within 14 days, I realized, you know, Houston, there's a major problem and ended up having to um, basically rescue my own daughter from human trafficking. Mm. And being um, a trauma therapist who works with crime victims, regularly, that was very, very hard to navigate. Um, and, you know, it, I didn't have a whole lot of, of time to process everything that was going on with that situation before my brother-in-law was struck while he was riding a motorcycle one afternoon on a Sunday, um, an impaired driver crossed over the line and hit him head on killing him instantly. Um, so between August and September, it was a major, major shift in my family, to say the least. Um, and what I realized in that time, because I'm still expected to be the counselor, and I'm still expected to be there for people, and I'm still, you know, at the time, a ministry college student, and I'm still uh, leading a first responder team, um, there was an element of suck it up buttercup um, mm. here in the South. We don't talk about things that bother us um, openly unless it's absolutely necessary. And I know that's a big stereotype, but I mean, it's true. Mm -hmm. um, I see that in my practice with crime victims. Um, a lot of times I will get crime victims who are adults and the trauma of childhood is plaguing them to the point that they've reached out for therapy. Um, so 
there was a lot of um, Karen had to reevaluate Karen's mental health mm-hmm. at that time back in um, a year ago. So um, for me to reach out for counseling was extremely difficult because one, I would have to seek someone out that I felt would understand the um, situation, which is very hard to find. Um, And, you know, then there's the, the element of, gosh, I'm a counselor. So if I reach out for help from someone, I've got to go outside my own back door because I cover the lower part of the state here. Mm -hmm. So I would feel more comfortable if it was someone that didn't know who I was or where I was from, obviously. Um, And that was another difficult, you know, uh, that was another difficult task. So there were so many layers to me, myself, reaching out for help in a time that I needed it and actually being able to find someone who got it. Do you feel like it was going to impact your competence? And maybe how you were looked if you were to reach out to someone within your field? For me personally, not really. Um, I wouldn't necessarily care, you know, what people thought um, because I need to do what I need to do for myself and my family. Um, But there is a definite stigma there. Um, and, And the thing that I'm seeing over the past couple of years is over the past couple of years, it's now become more commonplace to share your story Mm -hmm. um before not so much and you know I I think our culture and society really suffered from that not happening as much as it is right now Um, and I think social media has a little bit to do with that as well Um, just you know the real human condition Mm -hmm. social media is paints that and changes that um and it's unrealistic so i think in general when people have struggles and people are going through um, disaster and heartache and pain you know reaching out to someone of a professional level seems like it's the second or the third choice Mm -hmm. that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) people are more inclined to, you know, speak with someone within their circle or especially young people. Um, they'll talk to other young people. Um, and, and this is something that's bothered me a little bit too, because of the stigma with that and how it is literally costing people lives. I think it also goes back to the point of asking for help in general. I think in my opinion, what I've learned is, there have been so many situations where I've had conversations with people and myself included, where I didn't ask for help for that same exact thing that you mentioned. Fear of rejection. How am I going to be perceived? Weakness, asking for help, as unfortunate as it may see, but I think there's a reality to it. Asking for help in today's day and age, in my opinion, it's a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of strength. When, when in reality, I think it is a sign of strength. It's, it's a sign that's of saying, sign. hey, you don't know everything. And that's true for everyone, I think. Mm-hmm. If there's ever a time that I could speak for everyone, it's, it's this is the time. And that's, none of us know everything. There's that's always right. going to be more to learn. There's, we're always stepping into the unknown. 
And so in situations where exactly, and I think in situations where we don't know something, it's important to ask for help. And I think help is another thing that maybe we can tap into and break down. But it's not always about finding someone who can help you solve who is going to solve the problem for you. Sometimes it's literally just finding someone who can hear you out. That's it. Mm -hmm. Because you have the answers, at least I believe you the answers are always within you. And that's maybe the beauty of having conversations is that you're able to see different elements of self that you haven't seen Mm -hmm. before. And then those answers get revealed. And then you think to yourself, ah, I can't believe I didn't think about it that way. It's like, well, because you haven't had a conversation yet. So I think there's, there's something to be said about asking for help. And I'm curious to hear just with the perspective that you have now, how have you shifted that for yourself? Like, do, do you still feel, you know, there's hesitation to ask for help in certain areas? Um, do you only ask for help in X, Y, and Z, but not ABC? How does that work for you? Um, gosh, that's kind of a tough one. Um, I ask for help within my circle when it's something that I need to be heard out, um, when it's something that is is bigger and more complex, like uh, a marital relationship or, um, you know, a, a child that is struggling with with certain things, you know, I'm, I may, even though I'm a counselor, I may have questions about, gosh, how do I navigate this? I have to reach out. I have to find someone that that can identify with with what I'm going through and hear me out. Um, and like you said, not that I'm seeking answers per se, mm-hmm. but you know, when we're in the emotion of something that that we're struggling with, sometimes we don't see things with the clarity that we would should we be outside of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I understand that totally. And, you know. I have a plethora of, of support groups that um, I can reach out and, and come in contact with should I need, you know, that that time out. And, and we've recently discussed doing that um, amongst clinicians, um, scheduling an hour every week to not vent, but to discuss the stress and the pressure, because I think stress and pressure are the underlying issues for a whole lot of people, mm-hmm. especially right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've always been curious about those two subjects, especially when it comes to professionals in the field, how do you deal with the two? Because in most situations you're put in a position where you've got to have the answer. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the answer, therefore you're not competent and therefore I'm going to go to someone else. And that's, I think that's really interesting. At least that's my observation of it has been. And so I always get curious, like, how do professionals in the field deal with that? How do you, like, how well, do you? I don't, I don't know how other people do it, but mm-hmm. um, generally my rule as a clinician and how I, how I operate in my practice and how I train other clinicians in my practice to um, accommodate people in need is generally to just bring information to the table. We're not there to give advice. We're not mm-hmm. there to um, give you an answer because what if we choose the wrong one? You know, we we aren't inside people's heads. We are not inside your situation personally. Only you are. 
So for me to do therapy with someone that is looking for answers, my job is simply to get the information that they need to make that decision for themselves. Mm. That way, number one, they're really growing and learning. And number two, they are in control and identifying what the problem is and how to solve it. It's not necessarily something that I did. I just facilitated it. Mm-hmm. How do you instill that practice of questioning instead <sighs> of seeking out for answers in particular? Um, well, it's a lot of reframing. Um, I, I repeat a lot of the things that, that I'm hearing. That way I make sure that I have clarity of where someone is coming from because mm-hmm. listening is um, a little more complex (laughs) to say the least to um, (laughs) to listen with ears of like you're hearing it for the first time you've never heard this before this is especially unique for this this individual that's telling you what it is that's bothering them and you want to reframe that and say what i'm hearing you say is so that they understand that you've heard exactly the essence in which they've spoken and where they're speaking from. That way we have a better idea of what, what tools to pull out of the old tool bag and, you know, what resources I need to pull. And, you know, I just try to meet people where they are. Um, I try not to go overboard. I try not to dig too deep. You know, I, I really, I really prefer that people drive their own train um, because that way we're not going to derail. Mm. And, and and that's not playing it safe in a clinical setting. That is just being very respectful of that person's dignity and human condition at the moment. Mm-hmm. And would you agree that that is maybe the point of successful counseling and guidance and that is to help per, to help empower the individual where they yes. can come to their own realization and their own mode of questioning and finding answers instead of becoming dependent on the professional. Absolutely. Because I mean, we're just people too. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my biggest thing is, you know, it, when people say, oh, I need a counselor, I need advice. I'm like, oh gosh, well, I hope that you didn't go to one that gave you any because that was not <laughs> <good>. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it's not about advice. It is about walking alongside someone through a tough situation and being able to facilitate and assist them in a, in a manner that they're going to learn from this, this struggle. They're going to learn from this pain. And, you know, it, it's a little more difficult when, when there's someone that is very closed off and I call it unteachable. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be teachable. even I have to be teachable um, because life is a continual um, Mm -hmm. process and we're continuously learning. So, you know, I just, I try to to come, come at at people humbly and, you know, respecting the situation that they're coming from and, and not inserting myself in there in any kind of way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you see a lot of the challenges that you just described right now becoming even more evident during COVID and some, yes. some of these other things that we've experienced. Yes. Um, and, and like I discussed earlier, I think the biggest, the biggest barrier right now that I'm seeing is clinicians are burned out. 
um, mm -hmm. therapist, um, it may be psychologist, I'm not sure, I can only speak for my field, but um, we are having to shift from one sense of normalcy to another, which is very abnormal. And I don't know who came up with the word normal, but I think it's a it's an awful, awful word. <laughs> um, um, normal can be damaging to some people. So my point with that is that we are the ones that are doing the listening right now, um, clinicians all across the country. And we don't have anybody to listen to us. Mm. Um, and, and that's very difficult, especially when, you know, we're bound by a certain amount of, of secrecy, uh, confidentiality, and we can't just talk about some of the things that we hear from our clients. Um, and they're very difficult situations at times especially when we're talking about trauma. Um, so what do we do with that? You know, we, we go to the beach for the weekend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and a lot of times we do that in isolation because nobody is going to understand unless it's someone, you know, that's torn from the same cloth. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to find. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point, I think, especially in regard to not only the burnout part, but creating a space for other people to be heard. Um, I learned that it's, um, you know, it seems simple, but at the same time, it's very difficult because the person has to be in a place where they can be heard and there has to be a space as well. Where, and they have to be ready. And they have to be ready. And so I've always been um, curious and a lot more grateful, I think, of people like yourself who have to process all of that because here's the thing that I've learned in regard to this work-life balance thing. In my opinion, it doesn't exist. It's they're too, they're too intertwined. I mean, it, it's lit my experience has been once it hits 9am, it's not possible not to think about life. Once it hits 5, 5pm, 5 it's not possible to continue thinking about work. So I think yeah. it's, it's always intertwined. And in your case, I've always been curious, how do you guys, how do you guys process that? How do you process? I mean, because you've got to hear stories. I mean, let's face it. I'm not, uh, I don't have a degree. I don't have any certification, but I hear stories sometimes that um, are very heavy. You know, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of tragedy that gets shared. And so I get curious, like, how do I process that? And, but in your guys' case, you're in, um, you're in a slightly different boat because you're not able to share X, Y, and Z said this, right. and how can I help? You know, you have to right. always maintain that mindset that you can't share certain information. And then the question becomes, what do you do then? I do a lot of um, self-talk. Um, I do a lot of music therapy with myself. Um, I listen to uplifting things, um, things that reach me on a level that, that give me peace, especially in situations like that after I've sat and listened to something very heinous and heavy. Um, I have to take the time out. And a lot of times, I'm going to be honest, it's in my car. 
Mm -hmm. um, going from, you know, appointment to appointment or from place to place. And that is my time to unplug and disconnect. Um, it helps that, that I have animals. Um, animals are very um, therapeutic. Yes. Um, you know, just to just to disconnect from the humanity element and um, reach out to an ever trusting animal um, mm -hmm. that does, that does a lot. Um, and, you know, I, I hear, you know, people get concerned about withdrawing and, and isolation, but I think withdrawing and isolation are, are very different. And when I isolate, it is because I need to um, just unplug from the world, not necessarily for a long period of time, but even if it's 30 minutes, that's that's my time to actually process, let the wheels turn and have an understanding that, you know, these are not things that are happening to me. These are things that are being shared with me. And that's mm -hmm. totally different things. That's a really interesting perspective. I mean, there are many points that you point out. I think the animal part definitely works for my experience. I even think looking at my dog sometimes just simplifies everything, calms you yeah. down, you know, even seeing and observing the stillness and the simplicity that at least I perceive it as simplicity of life that they look through. They might be living in a very complicated world. <laughs> Who knows? It's, it's difficult to get into their brain and, and get that perspective, but I'll definitely agree that there are certain elements that may be able to help as far as the ones that you described. Do you find yourself though, in some of those situations, especially when it comes to, let's say music therapy, is it, are, are you, how are you processing that? Are you processing that to forget some of the heavier things that you encountered? Are you looking at them as a way to reframe and reflect through a different lens? What does that process look like? It's a lot of reframing. And I, I, I only specifically listen to music that is speaking life in some element. Um, it has to, it has to be positive, uplifting, soul quenching kind of music. Um, and oftentimes I find myself beginning, in, I, I, I listen to, I have a worship list. <laughs> um, so I have to get spiritual. Um, I think that um, humankind has sort of pushed spirituality to a wayside um, in lots of situations. And and I have to take it to the spiritual level. I have to unwind everything. I have to hand that over because I know that it's not my battle. It's not my struggle. However, there's the perspective that I've been put into this person's life. This person has crossed my path for a reason. So mm -hmm. it's my due diligence to make sure that I remain the healthiest I can possibly be throughout this job because I would never want to emulate unhealth or unwellness or project anything onto someone's situation that's coming to me for help. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also an interesting responsibility. I, I believe it's a responsibility of just every human being 
It is. And it would be so great if every human being would do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it sure would. I mean, it it takes a lot of practice. It takes definitely a lot of, um, a lot of work to be able to get to that space of understanding and, and knowing. And maybe I think it, it also starts with, in my opinion, there's so many different labels that have been created throughout this world where, um, for example, when it comes to mental health, it's oftentimes seen as only those that are in the profession. Mm-hmm. When in reality, I think everyone can work on it mm-hmm. um, just in a little bit in their own different way and increase their self-awareness and confidence and whatever else. So I think uh, one story longer, we all have a role to play in it all. That's yeah. how I look at it. Yes, we do. What is the best way that people can connect with you? Do you have anything that's coming up? When it comes to your practice, your nonprofit, um, anything like that? I do. We are um, joining some, we have some partnerships coming up um, with a sex trafficking um, task force here in central Alabama. Um, I've been working with a company called Relevution out of New York. Um, Marissa Badgley is the founder of that. And since COVID has taken over our country, um, we, I say we, there, there's about a dozen of us that have gotten together and we have launched Project Respite. Um, so that is a national call line. It's free, it's confidential, and the, the, the phones are being manned by trained clinicians who are volunteering time to take calls for first responders, law enforcement, fire, EMS, dispatch nurses, doctors, anybody who has been super, super stressed out and dealt with a whole lot of grief with Mm. COVID-19. So those are, those are some of the projects that we've, we have going on. Um, Healing Hearts to Resiliency is my nonprofit and you can, you can find that on um, Facebook, Instagram and Helping Hands Professional Counseling and Consulting is the private practice and um, we serve lots of people here in Alabama. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you for sharing your story. And we'll make sure to include all the different ways that people can connect with you and your work. Sure. I'm so thrilled that you had me on this morning. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our podcast so you can receive all of the latest content as well as all of the upcoming episodes. Also, if you like what you heard on any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring conversations. Once again, We thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.